Welcome to the Keeping It Business Podcast. I'm Adam Payne, a multiple small business owner, business mentor and growth coach, and your host here on Keeping It Business. Right, welcome to another Keeping It Business podcast. I have a top gentleman with me, Yinch. Yinch, introduce yourself, your business, what you're about, uh, and we'll go further into that as we get into it and as we progress anyway. So, Yinch, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Yinchi, and I am uh, the founder of Playco Software. We are a software solutions company interested in a wide range of technologies. Uh, most recently, we've been working in AR and VR, and uh, I have encountered the manufacturing and product design circles through the Connects portal with, with Sam Bainham. Uh, we've been working, the, the company has existed for about 20 or so years, and we have been uh, working with different technologies, a lot of 3D graphic stuff, but also some web stuff and some mobile stuff. And the newest space that we're working in is spatial computing to do with VR. And we were very pleased to be able to uh, help organize a recent exhibition of manufacturers and designers. Uh, and Adam was there, which was great. Steve, I and, I, was. I th- and I think he, he liked it enough to try and to, to, to make his own and to actually start making his own. So I was very pleased with his response to that. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into it further into that, uh, definitely, because that's something we do, I do want to talk about with you. The Now, so where did it all start for you? Because I know, uh, looking at your, your LinkedIn uh, career path, programmer and that side, but how did this all come about for you, the interest in uh, programming and getting into the technology and computer side? Sorry, goes back a surprisingly long way. <laughs> um, I'm of an age that uh, when I was in school, computers actually weren't that common yet. I think that I got my first computer when I was 12 and I started programming it almost straight away. And I was absolutely thrilled and enthralled by the potential of it. It was like discovering a new world for me. And all the way through my secondary school and my A-levels, I always did some computer science. Uh, just it, I found it interesting and fascinating and I was good enough at it for to be able to get some results and I did study software engineering at uh, Imperial College in, in London for my degree. Um, after that I worked in a multimedia company uh, working on uh, educational CD-ROMs if anybody remembers CD-ROMs you're like, just... <laughs> you're like pen drives but that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> and also after after the multimedia company uh, i went to work at a video games company making playstation and, and nintendo games but uh, again for those of you who remember i worked on nintendo 64 cartridges a little while ago and having encountered all these powerful graphics technologies i uh, left that company and started my own company which is the company i currently run which is playco with a stated aim of bringing the benefits of video games and graphics technology into non-video game areas. That was like, that was the pursuit of it. And so right from the beginning, uh, I've always believed that uh, 3D graphics was a great way of communicating, of, of, of uh, collaborating, of thinking and designing. And I saw that it was all pooled around just video game production. And I really wanted that capability to live outside it. So very soon after my company started, I actually put a lot of 3D graphics into uh, trade shows. I was in trade shows. Uh, I, I made a I made a um, installation for the Ford Motor Company for, for the Centenary. 
uh, I did stuff for Mazda, I did stuff for Samsung USA, and all these were applications of 3D graphics in non-game areas, mainly for showrooms and trade shows uh, before my more recent work in, um, in, uh, in mobile and in web. It's always been a stated aim of Playco to be able to, to want to help clients. Our primary thing is to, to help clients find technological solutions for your problems. And actually to say to them, if the technology is use a pencil and a piece of paper, we're not afraid to say it because we really want technology to, to act as, uh, as a service that, that they should serve, that they should help solve problems. And we are very aware of the fact that um, a poor technological solution does more harm than good. And I, I'm, I have too much respect and concern for my prospects and my clients for them to have to suffer unnecessarily around technology. Their lives are hard enough as it is. So Playco is very motivated in solving problems, uh, whatever that takes. And it, that has led us to try to stay up to date with the latest technologies to, to understand what is out there so that if a client comes to us or some with a prospect comes to us with a specific problem, we don't say to them, well, you should use X because that's what we already know. That, yeah. I mean, the temptation is to do that. And so we have always tried to stay at the forefront of knowing what is possible so that we can serve uh, the clients best. And, you know, and that leads us today. So I started programming a long time ago. And every day when I get to do some programming is an absolute joy to me. I still love it. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's the way things progress is as the businesses progress as the business owner. Now, rolling back, so Nintendo uh, leading into, into building up to Playco. So finding that sort of like, what was it something that you were doing at Nintendo that made you click and think, yes, I actually I've, can see an opportunity and I'm going to, uh, you know, create Playco. What was the decision around it? What was what made you sort of like think, yeah, I'm actually going to go out and create my own business. I'm going to uh, right. do my business. Um, uh, a, a small clarification, I worked on a Nintendo game for a company called Pure Entertainment, yeah, rather than at Nintendo yeah, yeah. itself. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I could see I was making code, I was writing code for the design of another person. You know, the, the, the game designers, I didn't design the code, I implemented designs that were, they were sent to me. And I wanted to have some control over the design, you know, just... Uh, I, I was I was I was young and optimistic, <laughs> and so I saw that uh, the technology was actually artificially constrained by the by the needs of video games. I saw that it was uh, very very again just to say it's a very powerful medium, hmm. and I thought that um, I could definitely transfer these skills away from games and my company also makes it still also makes games uh, you know alongside the stuff we do for training and simulation and education we also still still make games technology is still very powerful for that um, but I saw that what I was making in games I saw that it was very limited to just keep it in games I, I couldn't I couldn't and I saw I started a company partly with the optimism of youth you know the running a business I, you know, I, I was in my 20s and you go ah that doesn't seem so hard I'm sure I can do it and I'm sure Adam, you have seen the entire spectrum of people who I like literally didn't, you know, you know they, they didn't know what payroll means. And, you know, yeah. so, so I, I'm sure you've seen the whole spectrum. And I was at the, at the wet behind the ears, you know, I shut, you know, like a newborn. But so I had optimism because I think software people are naturally optimistic. You have to be an optimist to work in software, I think, <laughs> and, and, and be slightly, uh, slightly uh, 
up for a challenge. But yes, I was led into starting my own company because I saw what the medium could do and I wasn't aware of the difficulties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, absolutely. Is there anything that really springs to mind around when you first started up that you thought, you know, holy shit, what have I done? <laughs> or is there anything that sort of like you wish you had known that mm. you didn't know? And I suppose that's a bit of a cliche yeah. question. No, or... no, I, it, it's it's a good question. Uh, I I was uh, given some startup money uh, to uh, uh, for my family to to yep. you know for the first few bit, and uh, the there were two simultaneous realizations. Firstly, payroll is expensive. Yeah, and secondly, uh, prospects cost money <laughs> prospecting cost money, cost money yeah so yeah. uh every every so there was this you know as the payroll went on you know as we went through our first year or so you, you saw that you know you saw your balance going down and it's a, it's a bit like when when you're sometimes when you're maybe you're like walking uh, walking on a on a on a you're hiking for instance and then you, you're on a flat bit of path and you come to a bit of path which is slightly like slightly sloping and you go, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slipping a little bit. You know, I'm slipping a little bit, but I'm okay. You know, if I, if I had to stop slipping, I could. And then it reaches a certain point. He says, actually, I think, I don't think I can stop myself sliding. And, and the, the realization of how steep it has gradually become and how hard it was to regain ground, it was very sobering. You know, uh, you know we, so I, I had already, like, I hired somebody from day zero, which is insane, because I was sure that the technology we were proposing would be so... Uh, devastating you know the benefits to be so high that nobody would turn us away but in fact everybody turned us away and I was uh, so I was I set out to be a products company and had to be very rapidly pivot to a service company through a, a lead that found me on a freelancer's website and oh, actually okay. that that one lead was the the lead that led to the next nine years of work that kept the company alive so some there is an element of opportunity so my plan completely didn't work but a second plan that I, I didn't plan did work and I think the unpredictability of that is not you know it's not ignorable sometimes things just don't work the way you want to do mm. my, my father who runs who you know he he has run businesses he told me a thing that I now try to repeat to other people starting which is that you have to be answered a question, who is your customer? He said, it's very simple. Every time I said, oh, it's doing very well, we're building this, we're building that. And he kept saying to me, who is your customer, right? And I said, it will be people who are, he said, no, no, what are your names? I need names, you know? And until, and he was absolutely right. And it took yeah. me 10 years to, to come, like the dawning realization that he had warned me from day zero about this thing. And so the thing that was, that which I now tell everybody is your network is, everything your network is everything anything you can't do you can learn anything you don't know that's harder that's harder and so every time now all our projects work inwards from our network rather than outwards from our capability this is the new shape of how playco now does business we are uh, quite we have become much more outwardly focused this is a it is a it's a maturation that has happened over i'm going to say decades really so it's not that we knew this from the beginning we stepped into every hole and tripped over every hurdle on the way here. And, you know, 
through 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 uh, a measure of good fortune and hard work, we are still around. But it's not because we were smart or right. We were just too dumb to give up. That's how I describe our success. <laughs> when you look, if, if 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 you look back at that, and I don't, is is that some of of that journey and that change and the switching? Is that um, potentially or possibly? uh the way that your that industry was going anyway so the progression mm. and the and the progression of that industry was changing to such that it ended up being that way anyway is there is is i mean am i right in saying that from a from a, a shift in in technology and moving forward and the way it worked i wish that were true <laughs> it was like that when i started uh, i i wish that i could say that the circumstances change such that my original idea of like a devastating open technology would would win hearts and minds uh attempts like that continue to this day and they they fail in success and they fail and succeed for exactly the same reason so there's no excuse it lots of the things that uh, happen in new technology in new tech spaces and emerging technology spaces is that the startups imagine themselves to be immune from the forces of old economies yeah. Just say, oh, it's a thousand times this, it's a hundred times that. Uh, market forces don't apply to us, and it's not true. Uh, the market forces are ancient. The market forces that exist for the survival of organizations and endeavors predate economy. They predate mm. currency. You know, if you so who you know that it, it is telling that in the history of humanity, we became successful when we became social when you could form settlements, that mm. was when growth happened. And that is 15, 20,000 year old true. 20 year old technologies don't get to rewrite human nature. We can't, we, th we think we can, we've done things, you know, the way that we are able to communicate like this now is technologically different, but there are all economy forces, there are all world forces, which new tech is not immune from. It has to know which things it is different, but there are certain, it is not completely different. You, you cannot just say, we are new, gravity doesn't apply to us. You can't build, a, whatever aeroplane you build now still has to address gravity. There's no technology. So it is worth understanding that the way the market works is like gravity. You can, you can increase, increase fuel efficiency, you can shorten your takeoff distance, you can uh, increase capacity, but you never get to ignore gravity. You can, yeah. you can treat it with different levels of respect, but if you ignore it, there is only one destination for an aircraft that ignores gravity. <laughs> yeah. And there is only one destination for businesses that ignore network. Yeah, no, that's superbly put. Absolutely superbly put. So, so Playco, so starting up and going in, and you were saying you were doing these, uh, the exhibition side. Right. side. Yeah. So in that, were you actually... Uh, doing the, the the 3d visual construction and and visualization or was it actually then back then into this platform of of where we where we've come to with vr or was it just a, a, an in-between uh the stuff we did for the exhibition was mainly on uh large screens on a booth and also on touch screens on yep. kiosks so okay. kiosks and booths which yep. i know are still so it wasn't very high tech uh, VR headsets that oh, and 3D graphics that we know now were it was still relatively rare. Uh, so my first uh, my first build was for, for Mazda, and that was uh, on a it wasn't a seventy no it wasn't a fifty foot screen. 
And so that was like the first thing, it was the first thing we worked on that made money, I'll tell you that. Uh, we uh, had to build a prototype for them to test out at the Birmingham uh, Auto Show because it was at the end of the show and said, we're not sure whether, whether you want to do the project, uh, but if you bring your sample down at the, during takedown, we will put it onto the screen and see how it looks. So we had to write this 3D demo in two days because they, they asked us when the exhibition opened and the, the exhibition was, so I was contacted on a Tuesday and had to deliver it on a Thursday, like afternoon, which, which we did. And they eventually did pick up the contract and I, and I, I worked with another company to produce uh, 3D graphics. We, we were given some of the models for the, for the cars, but then we also added our own visual graphics. We added a, a koi carp that, that swam around. We did animations. We did a customization where you could put different decals on your pickup truck, and then your pickup truck would be part of a 3D ad for the truck. So people were able to customize it on a kiosk and see, see their customization appear on the, on the, on the massive, massive screen at the, at the Ford Centenary. So we mainly did the graphic stuff, and it was quite screen-based. Mm. Uh, it used size to be to be dramatic, uh, so it was a long time ago. People are going to be able to tell how far it's gone because I've said the centenary. They won't. They will know how long ago that was. Yeah. That, well, I could. I could see. I can remember uh, dabbling when I was at um, uh, Hanson. It was called ARC when I was there, Amalgamated Roadstone Corporation. Now Hanson it is, uh, which was mining. Um, and when when we did a project, uh, so sand and gravel mining site. So these hideous <laughs> these hideous mining things that you see at the side of the roads and you see all the the, the screens and crushes and lorries and, and things like that when we did those for planning uh you used to, it used to be sort of like i don't know as an example you'd have five books on engineering around what was happening and a and a uh, one book on the environmental impact mm. and it switched over a period of about four years and it became five books on the env environmental impact and one book mm. on the engineering and one of these things that became into it was 3D visualization. Right. So this was going back to probably 92, this was for me, where a lad, a gentleman that uh, I, I worked with, Steve Roberts, uh, he had the surveying company. And then we, uh, uh, in Cambridge, uh, Boilercroft over, we had to pass a conveyor belt going over the River Ouse. And it was right by sort of like uh, this weir system. And we had to show a boat going down the river in 3d and then the, right. like a camera angle and then pass under it and this was for people seeing what their eye line would be from the view from the roads um and that's what made me wonder whether whether it was sort of that sort of uh, sort of stuff that uh, you, you got into because i would i'd just seen it being introduced there mm. and was just getting involved with it and then but i moved on there um so you could it's, see this transition mm. to this stuff um moving the, there has been an absolutely uh, dramatic, a really dramatic change in the, in the amount of power that people carry around with them. The the computers that we uh, that we used, <laughs> the computer that I used uh, when I was a child, is probably has less memory than this TV remote. You know, <laughs> literally the the phone, the three D graphics that you just described, you could run it on this phone while you were doing a video chat you know the, the power so the level of level of power is that had moved hugely and the mobility mm -hmm. of it has changed dr dramatically and so i uh, i have seen the revolution you know i was there at the beginning of revolution back on in the, in the apple two days you know so 
I started on an Apple II. I started programming. I uh, very shortly after I played my first game, I wanted to make games, and that was multiple decades ago. <laughs> I think I think next year I can claim to have been programming for forty years. So I've been programming for thirty nine years, and there'll be people literally say that computers have been around that long. <laughs> yeah. But but it is not just a scale of change, but I, I was uh, speaking to my son yesterday, who is doing a computer science degree, that it is the rate of change that has like exceeded uh, history. So it is not that we haven't had advances of this scale, but my, uh, my son who is at university, when he started school, there was no iPhone. He's older than an iPhone. Mm. And, and so mm. that kind of, that kind of, the, the fact that, uh, you know, we spoke about education on, on our, on the manufacturing hour previously. And the idea that, how can education be ready to teach something that when education starts, it didn't exist? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it's, uh, that is, because this is where, I, I mean, I know we've had this conversation, is that uh, is I look at how the education system is going to keep up with mm. the techno technological advances because the skill sets will shift and change. Mm. So mm -hmm. what you're teaching that, I mean, I've had conversations with the the, the, the um Students have come out the the universities and, and have gone into jobs and have turned around and said, "It's changed since we we were taught," and, and that was only only two years ago when we finished, or a year ago when we finished, and it's and it's changed that rate of, that rate of knots. It's, yeah, it's it mad. It it comes. I mean, it comes to the thing that we also have brought up is that the skill that one needs to come out of formal education with is the ability to learn. That mm. skill, what you have learned, all the things you've learned are, are they are like meals that you've prepared. But the act of cooking, you know, you have to learn to learn. And if you come out at the end of education only knowing things, not knowing how to learn things, you're in all sorts of trouble, I have to say, you know. And I'm hoping that the generation that, uh, that are in school at the moment are aware through the social channels and the web channels and the online channels that they can acquire knowledge without some organization telling them. You yeah, know, you, you don't have to be told. Yeah. You can reach out and find stuff for yourself. And I hope that encourages them to be in charge of some of their own learning. I understand that there's a lot of pressure in education these days. You know, I, I don't think that teachers are like trying, they're not trying to do bad or they're doing bad, but uh, there are many other forces at work in education which are not which make it difficult to commit the level resources of making learning first. I know, I, and again, I absolutely respect the difficulty of education, but it, the picture is bigger. The picture mm. is bigger than, than they can I, necessarily uh, yeah. cope. I think you're spot on, is, is, that, is, mm. is, is that being able, you've been taught to learn and, and mm. continuously learn. Mm. Uh, and I think that is, uh, is spot on. Now, from Playco, Days it started off started off with the, the Ford Centenary, mm. and you you start twenty years on. What's your journey that you've seen through your eyes around that twenty years? We've talked around this rate of knots of change. Mm. Mm. How has that play, played out for you in Playco? Um, it's meant that there was no way to depend on established knowledge as your killer move. It's not like there was one machine that you had 10 years to get good at. And after 10 years, the newcomers couldn't touch you because you were 10 years ahead. There was none of that. Every two years, you're lucky you learn something new. So you were basically running another race. So in, in a history of, of Playco, it has 
not necessarily run one race fast. It's been the length of marathon. It has been the yeah. length of a marathon, but it's been more like 400 sprints than it has been like one <laughs> long race. And sprint muscles are different from marathon muscles, as you know, you know any runner will tell you. Uh, and so the, the technology has moved, not just in terms of computing power, which obviously has progressed, the, the, what you can, the, the, the 3D graphics is obviously the most visible parts of it, but uh, the network, the speed of networks, uh, the first, you know, first house I moved into, we had dial-up modems. You remember the sound it makes yeah, when yeah, it, yeah. and how you had to make sure nobody phoned you when you were trying to do <laughs> data. And so all that plugging your phone into the same thing. And so the speed of, of connectivity has risen uh, a thousandfold. It's something close to that. I, I So... Uh, broadband connections are in the tens of megabits per second. And when the, the early connectivity was in the tens of thousands, not the tens of millions. And so that difference has reshaped technology. For mm. over the journey of, of Playco, we've had to, we've been, we have been gifted with more power to do the things we set out to do. So the graphics, it is now much easier to produce impressive graphics than it used to be. So that is a plus. The connectivity of computational units and, and of people just casually owning connect units means that the things that we make also can be pushed out and reach people easily. For instance, the video that we are sharing now, all you have to do for people to see the video is to send out a line of text, which is the web address. There's no burning a CD, going to the post office, putting a stamp. I just said three things that nobody understands. <laughs> but so the convenience, like the connectivity has also made it much easier to, to uh, reach people. And the computing power mean, means it's much easier to make something like good and impressive and functional. But as with so many things, it's double-edged. It means that people who are new to the market with less experience can often display just cosmetically a, a, an equivalent level of competence. They can say they buy a model and they say, oh, my stuff is good as Playco stuff. And I've been here for five minutes and they've been here for 15 years. And they can because the computational power is just so high. And again, with connectivity, everybody is a customer. Everybody is a competitor at the same time. You can reach everybody, but then so can everybody else. And yeah. everybody can reach you as well. So yeah. the connectivity is again, double-edged. All this power comes with, uh, it, it, it has increased our reach and capability, but it has also increased the need for wisdom. I think I can't describe it any other way, or canniness or discernment. So all these words, we are now flooded with opportunities and options and possibilities and perils and dangers of knowledge. Trying to screen, like quickly screen what you need to know and what you don't need to know has become its own job by itself. Back in what, in the early days when I was at university, there was like a, there was a few technologies you just had to know, and you could spend years mastering them. But you you can't really commit that level of resource. The number of things that it could be is so wide now. If you committed to do that, you would do nothing but just read the whole time and do nothing, or just keeping up, just take. And so, uh, wisdom and discernment has become like a much bigger part of working out how to work in technology, not just chasing the latest thing. It, it's not it's not efficient. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, and I'm glad the way you, you, you describe that is that this because uh, I'm a, a, a big believer of balance and ordering chaos, and mm. where we have opportunity, there is always the or you know there is always the other hand. There's like this, you know, good and evil. There's always that full spectrum that comes with it. Um, and I was, I was, uh, I was good. Uh, well, yeah, really eloquently put that was. Um, 
So from Playco's point of view, so coming into uh, where we are now, um, well, actually, coming back to it, is that networking the big thing, the networking and the mm. being able to virtually communicate with everyone and no one as such with the network? Mm. Do you think mm. that is the biggest standout thing that's happened in the 20 years that uh, you've been going with Playco? Or is there, is there something else? I think that the need for effective networking remains true, but the tools for achieving that have also increased massively. Yeah. The, the tools are using to communicate now, for yeah. instance, uh, uh, and it, it changes the pattern of use. Certainly when uh, the pandemic broke out, there were a number of uh, companies that I got to speak to who were happy to speak to me on Zoom, who possibly would not have given me the time of day if, if, if it wasn't video call, they'll say, well, if you need to speak to us, you need to, you need to turn up in San Francisco, just like, because nobody who is serious would not come to San Francisco. And it does, uh, it means that companies below a certain size can't, we can't compete because we are too small to, to spend the money. And so I think that the reach of video conferencing certainly proved by the amount of Zoom that has happened during the, the pandemic has changed the, the nature of how, um, communication works and again it's double-edged because it means that you can get a meeting and see people and, and talk with them but then so can everybody else so you end up competing on a different level uh people uh, I, I see people who give out calendar uh, their, their calendar slots are, are like half hour long slots that's really common now and i'm sure that then used to happen but you used to have one meeting for an hour travel three hours have another meeting and then you go home because that was your whole day but yep. now if you wanted to, you could have six meetings a day, you know, toilet breaks. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I did, now again on this, this double-edged source sort of thing in, is with these calendarly links and because uh, mm -hmm. I have one, but it's not very often I give it out. Mm -hmm. The only time that it is there, it is on my website. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me or wants to, to, to have or further discussion, they can use that as an option other than phoning, emailing and that. Because I, I always find this, it's how you say it, this, people buy from people and we build relationships. And I almost feel like it's when we make a connection, somebody says, or oh, they are after wanting to have a meeting with you um, so that they've asked you for a meeting and then they send you a calendarly link for you to do all the work to book yourself in <laughs> to meet them and they're the ones that want to meet you. And I find that quite cold. I think right. that is, right. that right. doesn't feel right to me. Um, he's, I may be old fashioned. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I had to say that uh, people still recognize effort. And uh, one of the things that uh, I think is that this is a little bit like, and uh, I, I know has become acceptable, is the way supermarkets work. In supermarkets, you're basically doing all the work. They said, we'll just put it in this warehouse. We put, we'll turn on some lights and you push the, the transport trolley around and you fetch everything out. And now to save us some money, why don't you do the all scanning yourself and you do all the money. <laughs> you basically made us into their workers and it's super efficient. And obviously the companies love it, but you can see that they haven't done it for, they haven't done it for necessarily for the benefit of the customers. customers. It's easier yeah. for them. And so I think the calendar lead is, Oh, it's also the same. The idea that 
I'm treating you like a supermarket. We, this can happen, but you have to do some of the work. And I, I don't know that the people who genuinely believe in the value of networking, I think networking has a bad name, right? Because I think that's this scattershot yeah. thing which they call networking, but that's not networking, that's just shouting. Shouting is not the same as networking. No. Talking to face to face, respecting people's time, understanding you know, understanding the background they come from, all that. Net- networking is not a thing that you can do to a hundred people at a time. That is not networking. Like, and so, I think that the fact that the digital tools have allowed people to be very cold and impersonal in their networking also means that when you do genuine, heartfelt networking, people notice the difference in quality. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. And so it's still okay. People, and again, I think that if, uh, if anybody thinks you can mechanize networking, then they misunderstand what that word means. Yeah. And so, again, maybe that's old fashioned, but I don't think, I don't no, think people I, I, like to be treated. I, I don't think it is because it is. <laughs> it is that, that law of reciprocity that, mm. as you say, mm. is you, you're making, you're, you're building that relationship already because you, you're, you're doing things for the other person that you know you've agreed on those mutual sort of like and they can see that they that you are um putting the effort in they're showing the effort yeah. as you said uh, and, I, and i think that is uh is missing in with some of the stuff that we've seen as cold and automated that saves time on the individual's part not necessarily the prospect of the customer that you're dealing with um so yeah it is i agree with you why just sorry go on uh just in terms of this attention and 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 contact i uh, as part of my uh industrial partnership with the school that my office is situated in which is uh the futures institute in, in banbury um i have had the uh opportunity and the privilege really to work with students there and the activities that they come to me for allow me to commit some one-to-one time with them and I think it's quite transformational to to them I I, so that the attention that people in work like it's not an it's not a work thing it's a person thing and so being able to have the scope the time the resources to commit time to connect with somebody, to hear from them, for them to hear from you, is enormously powerful. And uh, I, I know that uh, I know that it changes, you know, it's, it's sort of mindset changing when people receive attention. And so, and, and it is a thing that is like, it's sort of intrinsic in humans, rather than saying that it's, a, it's, not, it's not a habit that salespeople pick up. I'm just saying that people, they know when they're being ignored, they know when they're being blank they, they know when you are committed to the conversation they know when you spend the time and they know when when you haven't got the time they don't always they don't always judge you when you don't have the time they, they understand that sometimes you just don't have the time but you, you cannot get more out of it than you put into it it's just i mean yeah is that no, news yeah. that's not news right adam i agree i think so. I, but i do think i think it'd be news to some people <laughs> Uh, probably quite a few i don't know uh, <laughs> so playco where are you going next with this now because i know we're, we, this is i think where we really met wasn't it was uh sam and connex and the uh i don't think we were talking vr before we did no, we, no. We, it, 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 it sort of like progressed into that as well um 
But I mean, I mean, I've said VR there, but I, I don't know whether that is the. I know you do a lot with VR. I don't know whether that is one part of it um, for Playco. Um, you know, where is it that you are looking to this future? This where it's going. Playco software is committed to solving our client problems. Uh, I believe a huge class of un unattended issues in collaboration and training and simulation, which are outstanding and basically have been abandoned. People say, oh, training is like this. We'll just have to do it that way. Our, our conversion rates will be poor, uptake will be poor, retention will be poor, but what can we do? We just PowerPoint, stuff a bunch of people in the room. And people say, did they, did they, uh, did they get a training? We say, yes, they got the training. Can they do the job? Oh, sorry, they didn't ask us whether they could do the job. They just said, Can you, did you do the training? And so there are lots of uh, systemic uh, issues in collaboration and training, which I think VR can address, which is why I'm interested in it. Yeah. I mean, I'm personally interested because I, I like making interactive experiences and stuff, but I genuinely believe that the quality of experience that VR can bring will help lots of domains of enterprise. That, that's my belief. So. Playco is trying is going through a phase of uh, of of awareness and education, and being part of Connects Portal is part of that. The fact that we were able to run that exhibition with, with Sam was enormously powerful. People saw three D graphics at work in in a way that they never expected. I think they were they were startled because the only time they see three D graphics is when they look over the shoulder of their son or daughter playing Call of Duty. That's the only time, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or in the video arcade, or in a, or in a, or in a movie, that they, they, they think, well, 3D graphics is for entertainment, it's not for work. For work, we'll, we'll 3D print it, uh, or, or we'll we'll just have to look at a manual, or we we'll just watch a video. That's all there is. And I think the exhibition was uh, one of multiple steps that it takes to introduce people to the idea of what the technology can do, and what technology can do for them. And what they can use the technology for, mm. and I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see you, Adam, uh, having embraced it with with an absolute bear hug. I mean that 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 yeah. is an absolute joy for me because the value of the exhibition wasn't the exhibition; it was your response to it and people thinking bigger. Because yeah. I think that uh, um, that being smart with your effort still matters. Yeah. You can do work, you can work really hard. I see most people really hard, but working smart is always worth exploring first. And I think using spatial technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality are ways of working smart, working mm -hmm. smarter. You people already work smart. I don't don't let me I don't want to say it like people don't really work smart, but by using these immersive technologies, you can shorten the design time of things, you can reduce the, the time cost and the money cost of collaboration. And, and all these are, are benefits that I think uh, will appeal to CFOs. That's always my, this, is, this mm. is my new standard. Once upon a time, I always trying to appeal to the CTOs, the technology officers who have a slight technology hat on. They have innovation budgets and they'll go, oh, there's this money to spend. There's, there's some aside money to find out what new things are happening. But increasingly, the reality is that technology's honeymoon is over. The CTOs don't get to decide how money is spent as much as they used to. The CFOs have turned and said, okay, that was very funny. I would, that was pretty impressive. When am I going to get my money back? And, it mm. is, and all the technologies that survive have to answer the CFOs. They, they, they just have to. It's not, it's not personal. 
it's not about technology. If you were, you know, if you wanted to, either you want to build like a rocket ship or you want to have a sandwich budget, this, you have to justify the financials. And I think technology companies are used to not having to. They just say, we'll just, we'll just seed another round. And I go like, that's... The point of seeds is to grow fruit. It's not to plant more seeds. You're not, you're, you're not in the seed business. You're in the fruits business. And so uh, when I see people claiming that, oh, we are in our fifth round of seeds, and say, what happened to the last three years? Crops? <laughs> what have you done with it? Yeah. <laughs> Don't announce. I would, be, I would be embarrassed to say that. Oh, look, more seeds. I said, more seeds? Nobody's buying seeds. So, I, so one of Playco's pursuits is to try to make emergent technologies pay their own way in the in the true mm. sustainable market. And, and you think, but every business has to do that. Technology business have a bad habit. They have a bad because they have historically been able to make more money from seed rounds than from the market. And yeah. they think that's good. I'm I'm embarrassed. Can you cut that out? Actually, you might have to take, <laughs> no, take that out. It is, it is true, though, because I can remember having this conversation uh, with a number of people way back in January regarding Clubhouse. Clubhouse mm. that, that um, was mm. created and it's all about audio and meeting and bringing people together and you can stand and talk on stage, this, that, and the other, but it's all audio. Mm. And it was valued at... I think in January, it's something like a billion dollars. And, and I sat there saying, saying, how on earth can something be valued at a billion dollars that doesn't have a revenue stream? How on earth can it, you know, and it, how is it drawing in money? Now, it is, it's so, and they haven't even, haven't even thought of the monetization of it, and yet it was already mm. valued at this billion dollars. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, 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 sometimes you just think it blows your mind in thinking, this is where some of it goes, uh, or the way it goes. Um, I, I'm not. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not saying that uh, technology companies have not in the past proved their worth. They are companies oh, no, yeah, yeah. that people, yeah, you know, yeah. the valuations yeah. are. But I, I think that uh, the proof is in the pudding. I, I think that we should be much more focused on uh, making sure our technology has markets, solves mm. problems that people generally have. I, I mean, like, uh, like provably. Playco, uh, Playco software has, well, Playco has two sides. Playco software is our B2B part where we uh, serve client, uh, client set projects and, and problems. And then uh, the fulfillment of the, these requirements is done by like the second part of Playco, which is called Playco Studios. Yeah. Now, Playco Studios makes uh, software for Playco. So uh, Playco Studio makes apps for Playco software, but it also makes some games. It makes uh, interactive stuff. So it does some self-publishing. Uh, the most conventional way of of publishing a game is to build a, a prototype to show it to the publisher, uh, get an advance, and use advance to cover the cost of your production, which is some months. Uh, you know, some months. A year, two years, or so, and at the end of it, they uh, the publisher takes the product, puts it in the marketplace, and tries to get their money back. You know that's a standard play. You you see that pattern everywhere. Um, and I mention that now because Playco Studios is trying to disrupt that pattern, which is an ancient pattern in the industry. 
But as I looked at the flow of the flow of money, and really the thing that uh, uh, that the publishers are giving to the developers, like myself, are effectively unsecured loans. This yeah. is, and when you talk about unsecured loans, and you think about where else unsecured loans happen, the conversion rates are not super, are they? I, and because the prize is big, then the publisher says, okay, we'll risk it, but it's like, going to, it's like putting money on dogs and horses. I mean, literally. And, and so what Playco uh, Studios has set out to do is to try to massively reduce the cost of production by shortening the production time and go straight to market. Because the source of publishers' money is not publishers, it's customers. Mm. And so when a developer needs an advance from a publisher, it is a time, it's like a, it's a, it's a buffering technology, if that makes sense. If a product is genuinely good, right? And I'm, I'm sure every developer starts saying their product is genuinely good. You should be able to say, well, if your product is so good, why don't you just get the customers to pay for it? Why don't you cut out the middleman? And developers will say, we can't reach the market. Nobody knows we exist. We, 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 we don't have half a million, a million pounds to pay for 18 months of development, you know, numbers like that. But a thing that has increasingly like floated up in my radar is crowdfunded projects. With crowdfunded projects, there is no middleman. You don't have to start until somebody says they will pay for it and they pay for you. And so one of the connectivity technologies is disrupting old patterns. Not, and they don't just disrupt old patterns, but they actually, so they don't only disrupt old patterns and solve old problems in a new way, but it actually solve new problems. And the big, big challenge of emergent technologies like VR and like, like uh, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding is that the real benefits come when new paradigms are created. Mm. They, they often will have a benefit for producing efficiencies in existing paradigms, but they can only go so far because the old paradigm is just old. It's based on like an old assumptions. What is it? You can't put new wine into old wineskins. It is literally that. And that is not new knowledge. That's, that's old knowledge. That's not 2,000 year old knowledge. And so lots of times when an emergent technology appears, its real benefits come from a paradigm shift. But paradigm shifts are asked, it's like asking people to change their favorite wine or to, to it's like asking them to move house. And when you want to ask somebody to move house, you better have some real, the house better be on fire or they better be a mansion they're moving to. And so this transition, although there are benefits in the new technology and all the emergent new tech, uh, new tech people are saying, yeah, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. The, the, the journey from the old paradigm, the new, new paradigm is tough. It's yeah. tough. And often, very, very good new technologies have failed, not because they were not good, but they could not bring people on that journey. Yeah. So it's a communication problem. It's not a tech problem. Yeah. The tech people always say, oh, people wouldn't come on a journey. We need to make the mansion bigger. We need to make, put more lights, put more, you know, dress it up, put in better sofas. And I say to them, your house is fine. Your destination is fine. It's getting people to leave the house, get into the car, because... Once you make them leave the house, they'll say, I've left my house. I'm scared. Can we turn back now? You know, like they're thinking that all the time. And early adopters, they, you know, we've got like pioneer, we've got a pioneer said, he says, well, if, if I'm not bleeding, I'm not living kind of thing. And most people says, no, people don't want to hear that. They don't know it's painful. They want to know it's, it's a thing that either they already know 
all that. If they have to learn this new thing, they can stop having to go to work. Literally, they'll, they'll trade it for something else, but they will not make new effort for it. They will not make new time for it, and they will not make new, uh, new money for it, certainly. And so persuading mass, mainstream markets to, uh, to embrace new technologies is not in the technology, it is in the conversion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, that, that, uh, I think was, that paradigm change, that paradigm shift, that paradigm break, breaking mm. the paradigm, that's some of this, I think, is key uh, for, for, you know, businesses. But the old assumption, the old way of working, you need to revamp and change. And, you know, that was the way we get progression. That's the way we shift stuff, uh, move yeah. stuff forward. Uh, and, and we do need to do this within uh, within business. Yeah. Bob Gibbon, uh, I don't know whether you've met Bob Gibbon. Bob Gibbon, I've known years. Um, when I was an engineer, he was uh, a divisional chief exec and, and he trained me in some uh, theory constraints and I've kept in touch with him all throughout. So going back to the mid nineties, so, and we still keep in touch now. Um, uh, we do the manufacturing TV together. Uh, so Sam knows him, Sam, I think uh, Sam has uh, been with him. But he's a, he was a great one for back then in getting us to think differently. To, to break and shift the paradigm of, 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 of what we, we knew uh, that was the norm and just sort of like try and rip it up and, and bring it on and, and progress. And he was a fantastic one for that. Um, and he's, he's, got, he's got some fantastic thoughts around it. And in fact, he did, he did a talk on, on paradigm, uh, you know, breaking the mm. paradigm uh, a few weeks back, probably a few months back now on Manufacturing Central, Kaizen Central. Um, but yeah. What's, it is this... Uh, uh, one you were saying about what are the changes that happened over the 20 years and yeah. I would say it is one of the one of the major shifts that has happened is that when Plato started the capability of digital systems was just it, it was just getting by it could do stuff but you had to be you know you had to work quite hard to get a result and so it kept people like us in work because things are difficult and that's fine and I think that certainly uh Another thing that technology is not immune from is the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. So increasingly, what technology can deliver uh, cannot make a material improvement to the user's experience. So we are not, we are no longer able to say, this year we can do fifty percent better than last year. We can't. There were years when we could do that. There were years. I mean, I, I was there. It was incredible. You know, the speed of the the speed of the network is one thing, and there is a 5G demo that happened recently, which made me think about this as well. Um, so increasingly, the problem is trying to make the technology accessible, and accessible in both ways, like people can reach it, and people can understand it. So, you know, just, so even if some people can reach it, if it's too confusing, they won't use it. One of the great triumphs of Apple's company is to make something user-friendly. They hardly invented anything, they almost always made it so that people, they made it consumable. You know, mm. they, they, uh, they made it bite-sized. You know, somebody, you know, be, uh, like uh, early adopters say, here's a cow, you can eat a cow. And we said, I can't eat a cow. And, and basically Apple said, but you could eat a steak or a burger, right? They said, oh yeah, I can eat a steak and a burger. And so making a cow into a burger is like, it, so the, the battle now is all how to, how to make these things into like, like consumable pieces and yeah. accessibility is this huge, huge thing. So lots of, uh, lots of the work now is not in trying to make the technology better. Because if you've used Netflix and YouTube and Zoom, 
how can the fact that so it used to be that you want to watch the movie you had to wait until it came on TV or you walk down to the cinema and you would book a ticket. And then, so there's, there are these reaction times measured in, in weeks, days, and hours. And then it got a bit better with Blockbuster, which is a DVD shop where you go to the shop yeah, yeah. to rent a DVD. A DVD is a disc that you store video. I'm explaining what a DVD is because it's like YouTube, <laughs> but worse. And so the, the, there were material improvements of uh, things taking days to things taking hours to things taking minutes. But if you look at a Netflix and Amazon Prime Video model, you can decide to watch a video and you can watch it in two seconds. It's as fast as you can find it. And I think from that point of view, there is no more improvement to be had. So we've mm. capped out. You can go better from two seconds to one second. Uh, your, your buffing time can improve from like five seconds to two seconds. I saw somebody showing uh, a, a broadband connection, switching from 4G to wired. It went from, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 megabits to 900 megabits per second. And I think I saw a 5G ad, was it from Vodafone? I can't think. But they basically said, you can download a whole movie in three seconds. And I was going, I can't watch it that fast. <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that it is so fast, I said, okay, but you know, if it costs me 50% less and it takes 30 seconds, I think I could live with that. So you start, you know, start, I'm starting to see technology companies promise improvement that nobody wants. <laughs> So, and that is the law of diminishing returns. So, so I'm, really, you know, I'm really interested in the bottom, the pyramid, if that makes sense, not just the pointy end, the, because making sure that technology reaches out and running things like the, the, the frame VR IO event for, is part of the bottom of the pyramid. And I don't mean that rudely, because I think that, that that is where everything happens, where everything actually happens. Anything that can sustain itself has to be able to apply itself broadly. That's just, that's just the nature of it. And so the shift from being high tech to being wide tech, I think, is a big, big shift in the 20 yeah, years. Yeah, because from the VR side, with, what you, with, you know, with what I've been dabbling with um, since the introduction of it from yourself with the Connex uh, uh, portal, it's the, we go from this two-dimensional side um, into this three-dimensional side and more immersive there's more there's more it's more of a an experience with it i find mm. and that's the yeah. feedback that we get from it as well so when we're bringing people in and kelly's been a brilliant one for this because she's just been bringing people into our room um regarding exhibitions networking and things like that and we're looking that we're actually looking at seeing what we can do monetization wise and but it's all around from my side in getting smes introduced to it to build it so they can see what this technology is about and then how they can use it, how they can get the best use of it um, through networking, you know, and, and a different experience through networking than just the normal 2D side. Um, but the majority of the feedback has been, you know, when people come in, they get used to the controls. The first one, they get used to the controls and then they're like, oh, phew, gone. And, they, and they're, right. they're having sort of like, meetings in the in the little areas on their own and it all and it just operates like a true ish as close as you can get it uh face-to-face -face meeting because these little pockets happen the conversations happen and then they go off into the private areas and i sit back watching and observing and taking it all in and listening and it's fascinating to see um the frame vr is still an early demonstration of the technology there hmm. are there are, but it has I think it did a thing that I think Zoom does, which we are using right now for, for this call. 
it made it so that it was convenient. If you have to lose capabilities and features to make and in exchange of convenience, I broadly say to people, just do it. You know, if you have to say, oh, I put in 20 features and I to, to make add in 20 features, people have to have a special phone and back, buy special hardware and buy this and buy that. I say drop those 10 features. If you can increase the number of devices that your software can run on by a thousand times by dropping 50% of your features, do it. Live with it. Live with it. Live with it as an artist. Don't you know? Don't be so precious. <laughs> I said, don't be so precious about the thing you've made. If you can't reach anybody, then yeah, because I one of the one of the things is uh, was um, I've I've as I did a test in the FSB some FSB networking I go to. So you get the breakout room, and I uh, giving this away now. I bring the conversation around to VR because I want to see I want to see people's reaction. So. So I actually bring it around to VR, and then and then because the, the and people's majority of people's reaction is, uh, oh, I don't want to be wearing a headset. A headset. I said, all right. So your assumption is that to have VR, you have to have the headset. Let me show you, and I show them, and I've actually been doing this for about the past two weeks, uh, two or three weeks now, in showing people, and they and they and they're like, my God, that's just amazing, and then we've ended up having a one to one in the room, right uh, out of it, yeah. Um, so it's been, I, this, and this is where I found it fascinating. I've done this purely, really, just to see people's reaction and mm. seeing what the thoughts, and then it gets them thinking around. Oh yeah, you could do this and do that with it, and 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 you know, and they, and they start exploring things, and that I like, and that because that just it shows that they've switched on and can think around where it is and what they could do with it, where they could take it. Now it's been in the realms of networking expos and things like that. Mm. It just it's an introduction. At that level that then carries on and moves on and shifts uh, so i found it fascinating i have i have to say that i was uh relieved at uh, people's reaction to the conference as a technologist i understand i'm inside the bubble uh i i i know that i find these technologies exciting that sam found it exciting was good but you know he's a young innovator himself so when it came to when the rubber hit the road I I had I had to say I had my concerns, but uh, you you the, the fact that the way that visitors responded it was just phenomenal. It, it exceeded my wildest expectations that people just didn't just like it, but they and they understood it. And I think it's partly because of Sam's network, the people in Connects Portal. They're not sit back and just let things happen kind of people. Anyway, you know. No, yeah, yeah, because that's what and that's what you want. It's that mm. progressive uh, um, shift forward, that progressive uh, collaborative working and moving forward. I mean, I'm going from here half past one. I've got a networking in the VR room. Right, right. So, so it, it's happening. It, it's, it's happening. Just, yeah. It's just... So I've got and somebody said to me, "Oh, by the way, can I bring two other people into it? I know this is your Facebook group." I said, "Yeah, of course you can. If they want to come in and have a look at it and see what it's about, yeah, that's not a problem. Just come have a look." Yeah. But we're holding we're holding it in there, just messing about and and going through. And I think um, um, Sean from Frame wants me to uh, has asked me if I could do a podcast recording in there with Gabe I think it is from okay. I haven't met Gabe right, right, there, right but right. I've never met him never and so I don't right. know what he wants to do a podcast in there or something amazing amazing so we've, got, we've got to we've got to organize that um uh, I, I have only met Gabe in 
frame we are, but he, I'm I'm very active on the Discord. If you mention when you speak to him and says, "Oh, I know Yinch, he'll he'll know who I am," and the troublemaker on Discord always saying, "Oh, can we please have this? Can we have that?" And so that that's me. He'll I will uh, he'll, he'll he'll know me from <laughs> from being. The thing that's got me with the with VR the VR side because I know because mm. I know we, we spoke about frame, but there are others, you know, the rules are out there, but. When I started, when I sat back and started looking at after the Connex portal and going through and looking around different aspects of it, there's um, a lady that I know that's in my Facebook group called uh, Lisa, and she uh, she has Lisa Sweet Treats, which is an e-commerce, and it's all sweets, so and and they package them up, and there's different packages, and you can go in and choose all your sweets. Now, when I look at this from a VR point of view, I look at it as saying, well, what you can actually do is create this 3D model of this sweet shop that's in as you walk into this sweet shop. Yeah. VR, you've got all your jars up on the walls or however, so it's like an old-fashioned sweet yeah, shop. Absolutely. And you can click on each one and then start collecting your sweets up and then go through to your to your, your uh, checkout. Uh, and that's it. That and, and it's a, it's a phenomenal idea. Oh, my goodness, Adam. It's a, you and, you and, can't and, share that. Somebody's going to steal that. That was That is a phenomenal idea. A physically embodied it's just e-commerce but you're right you're right you're and this is what we and so when so when i don't know whether you've been in the room i think there's one room there called the zen room i think it is yeah i know the one and there's all offshoots of, of rooms and i was yeah. and i and i, and I got and, and i need to introduce you to andrew thomas i don't know whether you know andrew andrew thomas is a voice and ai so he's got his his wife is ai specialist right. he's voice and and he was in there with me and Luke and we were talking and Kelly and we were talking around and I'm saying that, you know, if you imagine here, you're just sitting down, looking down this Zen room. So you could do with the X, same with the Expo. So you can have these individual shops off and they're all complementary. And each individual shop is set up as an e-commerce. So you're dropping in as a shopping mall mm. and you're all doing it online and you can go from one to a clothes shop, to a sweet shop, to a, to a, you know, uh, I don't know, sustainability shop selling green. Do you know what I mean? You can, you, there's, just, this is... there's just so much you can do with it. And this is some of the stuff that I've mm. been thinking of around how we can do it. Um, and um, All I can say, Adam, is that you and I don't talk enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we already talk a lot, but it's, it's not enough because honestly, so many of the, so many of the features you described are in the capability of the engine I'm using. Yeah. It, it, like literally the, the underlying engine for this like e exists, but I hadn't thought of this use case, but it's such a good use case. Yeah. So, cause, it, I, right, cause what I did was, cause when we, we spoke around Connex and we, you, uh, I think it was the helicopter. There was a helicopter and I think there was a rocket, right. wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, the second day. Yes. Um, I've got Sarah, and Sarah does uh, in, our, in my Facebook group does interior design, uh, but she does interior design and exterior design with some big companies. So she does the play areas and things like that of uh, holiday uh, company. Mm. Um, and I said to her, "This is what you could do with it." And I said, "I'm going to I'm going to drop something into the frame room." I said, "I want you to drop in." And I want you to walk around it. So what I did was I went on to Sketchfab, right? And I pulled out a lounge, and then scaled it into in frame, and then said, "Right, now drop in there, and imagine this is your three D model you've drawn and created of your 
um, playground or play area, you've dropped it in lot and you can walk through and you can walk around the lounge. Now imagine that you've actually now brought in your customers to walk around that with you in, in the room. Uh, so you could talk around the model and you can yes. physically walk through it and look yes. at it and describe stuff. So that, I, I, I mean, situations like that are like, that is like the sweet spot of, of VR. Mm. Because first it lets you envision a space without having to build anything. I think it's more immersive than floor plans. And I, you know, and the fact that you can bring people into experience it without having to, them to like drive anywhere or travel anywhere. And if they make it, if you, they, they'll say, oh, we've decided that the cafe area needs to be bigger and the ball pen needs, ball pool needs to be smaller. You're not like getting the builders out, tear out a stud wall, kind, you know, and you can still so can try, you can, for instance, uh, say, what would it be like if we increase the amount of lighting by 20%, you know, and you could like do that like, like that, you know, and so the ability to iterate design and to be able to show, to demonstrate design remotely, all these are material benefits. And so one of the things that are in a book called Crossing the Chasm, they say, always identify which budget you are going to steal from when your new technology comes. But always they said, there'll be no new budget. So I have, I have routinely said that VR should be after the accommodation and transport budget of companies, not the innovation budget, ne never mind that. But yeah. the idea is that if they use VR, they can save money on uh, petrol, on air tickets, on accommodation. And I have to say that the savings in carbon footprint are non-trivial as well. Mm. Because all these things, apart from you having to pay money for, for the transportation part of it and the time loss, they just leave and that's sort of a hard to reverse impact on the environment. And if you can achieve 80% of what you need with 1% of the carbon cost, I think that that is compelling just in itself. You actually have to do it. <laughs> you yeah. just, you, you know, you don't. Yeah, and the other side that I look at from that as well is that um, even if you were still doing that travel and you've got the face-to-face, -face, the next thing you look at is on a, a 3D model on a flat screen. What the VR allows you to do is a 3D model that you can walk through and you can sort of like you, you could you can actually walk round, walk in because this lounge that I put in there, you could walk into the lounge and round and look. And if you got all this from from a uh, viewpoint of um, the um, the the design that you've done. You, you can walk in into it and you could discuss and be looking up, look round and, you, and you're in it, immersive. Uh, and I just think that would be a whole different experience again for, for client uh, and, uh, and um, customer perspective. Adam, mm. I am going to, have you tried out the Quest 2 headsets yet? Not yet. No, no, not yet. Not yet. I, I, I hesitate to recommend it because I don't want to blow your mind. <laughs> not because <laughs> not because it's bad, but it will be so good that I will be, you know, in, in the same way that they arrest like drug dealers. Mm. They'll say, oh, we lost Adam and it's Yinch's fault. And so I don't want to be responsible for that. But honestly, the effect, because you understand, if you think frame VR on flat is so compelling already. And I know that immersive is not, is not, as accessible because it requires a bit of hardware. But I also uh, know that there is um, 
this sort of like gateway behavior. If you can be a, a VR user, bringing flat screen users around space, that is also quite powerful because it's your hands. And so it doesn't, not everybody needs to have the same level of hardware. So I'm, one of the things I really like about free VR is they will run on phones. That's really powerful mm. as well. And so mm. there are lots of accessibility things, but the VR level of things, the ability to collaborate design, to see objects and spaces, you can try out campus layouts before you actually build them. What is it like if we use 20 classrooms instead of 15? What if it was a circular space? All these you can try out like in days instead of like months and years. And so once you try the headset on, right, and we can deliver all the accessibility of free VR is still the same, it will be very hard to justify going back because the CFO said, but you got that design approved for like using these two headsets instead of, you know, like just looking out, you know, and so yeah. the, 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 the ease and savings and, uh, and the, like, the creative freedom it gives you are so enormous that my belief that, uh, my belief is that the fact that VR hasn't uh, like swept the board is because people don't know it exists yeah. because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, key performance indicators are so high they're so, so high that if anybody's ignoring something so high, they must not know it's there. That, that's the only way because otherwise they knew it. They would, you could make back, you could make back the cost of a headset in one trip saved, literally one trip. I mean, you're this, I mean when, I look, when I look at it from this point of view is that, so uh, I had um, Samsung. Uh, I've got Samsung, but I can't, I've got a Samsung headset. Can't use it. Because I upgraded my phone and it don't bloody fit it. <laughs> but that was just that. But then when we were talking around, I think we've had this conversation before, is that you can actually do something where you send out a cardboard frame with the, the potentially, this is with me just oh, to get, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Cart- the, yeah. the, 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 drop it in, drop your phone in, and uh, you send a controller, uh, you know, a, a, a Bluetooth controller yeah. where you're walking around and you still get that, you can still have that uh, full VR side yeah. probably not as nowhere near as much as what sure, you could sure. with the quest but again you could steal that so there's even a level of that side as well that mm. uh, that i don't think has been tapped into as yet no no uh, w- vr uh, it peaked early some of the technology like uh, you know uh i don't know was the technology i'm not i'm not gonna call them snake oil salesmen but it is pretty yeah, good yeah. They, they put vr into the public uh, awareness probably a generation or too soon so people who have used uh, uh, like uh, used the Samsung phone uh, with with the headset, and all they saw was panoramic three sixty video, which had no depth. Yeah. And they said, "Oh, it's like watching a huge screen. It's like everything's just flat." And so when I asked people, "Have you tried VR?" They said, "Oh yeah, I tried VR." I said, "No, that's not VR." No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like saying, "I, I don't. Know, I, it's the the quality level of the experience. It's so the gap is so big that if they think." they have tried it and they haven't the name the reputation of vr is soiled uh, there's no way to yeah, get around yeah. it and and yeah. so the people who so the people who were promoting it before it was impressive enough i mean i can't because i i don't know that we will be around today if they didn't get that traction so i i but i want people to and everybody who has tried out my headset has bought one by the way just, just to right. say it is it is like it's as uh it is as contagious as the Delta variant. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's, every, it's on my uh, list. <laughs> yeah. 
done my list of um, acquisitions to get. Because I, I will, I think that, Adam, when you try the VR, right, you will become a VR bore. Like if people start complaining, <laughs> Adam, please tell us anything else. Yeah, sure. Stop talking about sure. it. Because it is just a new, the paradigm shift that VR brings is not a shift in display technology. You're not saying like, oh, from big screen to little screen, from static to mobile. It's, it's worse than that. Or in fact, it's better than that. The, the paradigm shift that VR brings is a paradigm shift in how reality is experienced. Mm. So it's coming outwards, like it's coming inwards from how you like look around a room rather than outwards. It's not like the monitor gets bigger and bigger. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's more dramatic than that. But one of the things that happens when you wear a VR headset is that you can't see your phone and people get really twitchy about that. I can't see my phone. I don't feel very well with my phone. Like, and so the, the VR experience is like going to an elevator or doing a site visit. It's less like being... So if, if people design uh, VR experiences, they have to understand what they're taking away from the user. And these are, these are all the challenges. People who are used to doing app design or screen design never have to worry about. I mean, imagine you had to make a website, right? And you're designing a new website that when people use the website, they can't see their phone and they can't see people. Like they have to cover their, hat, their, their faces and put your phones down to use the website. And people says, I'm not designing a website. I said, well, you are designing that for VR. So be aware of what you are taking away when you do immersive VR. You give them something back, but you do create a little fear in them. And so be gentle with them. Let them take breaks, you know, try to give them some of their feeds, you know, let them see their WhatsApp messages when they're in the headset. So, so be gentle, don't you know? And so being kind also allows you to make your technology be more accessible and accessible is a thing that, you know, I, I deeply pursue. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm conscious of the time. We're coming up to the hour mark, and it's yes. generally the hour mark that uh, people then start to go on. But I'm going to ask you some questions. We've said we've yeah. got these add-up questions. Um, so uh, we'll crack on with those. I've asked you that one, so I'm not going to ask you that one. Is uh, uh, How do you – one that I normally do ask people is, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? Because we've spoke around this education, we've spoke about this learning development. I, I'm constantly reading, constantly taking courses, constantly always keeping on top of it. What sort of things do you do? Um, most of the things I need to know because of being in software are available as online resources, usually in yeah. the form of uh, articles, if I'm lucky, or a, a, a training site. Uh, there are forums with lots of technology people who often have had the problem before. It is uh, one of the discoveries over working through time that it is very unusual for me to have a software problem that nobody has had before. Generally, people have to, because the, 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 the space is big. Yeah. And, but one of the real um, big changes recently, other than like watching YouTube videos, reading a blog post, going to the, to the reference site, the, the training site, is that uh, Discord, which is like group, it's like group WhatsApp, uh, has become an extremely powerful aspect of my learning. Uh, it is now possible to join online communities, which are like big chat rooms, where the experts in an area are there. You know, they spend many minutes there a day. And so it's been possible for me to get answers to technical questions and to influence the uh, outcome of software in the ecosystem by being in these Discord servers. So Discord servers are a massive area. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was uh, working on a, on a small game for a game jam and I ex and encountered a problem where my game would not run in the Quest headset 
on a particular website. So the combination of the Quest headset and this website, it would not work. And in the Discord server were developers from Oculus who noticed the problem, communicated it with me, and they fixed the browser and rolled it out to every headset in the world. Fantastic. And I'd only like just met them. So the, the learning cycle is very, very, very short. People are very happy to help. And it might just, it might just be the domain that's in. WebXR is very, very young. Everybody's trying to help everybody else. But the learning has come from dealing with the absolute bleeding edge experts. They will try to help you do it using the tools that exist. And every so often, they will change the ecosystem if a, if a requirement is genuine. So uh, I, I learn by just being active in, and, and giving back and trying to help as well. It's always that, a two-way I mean, street. That, that's, that's powerful in itself, that one is. Just be, that being able to have that communication, that uh, two-way communication and it being passed out. Um, and that also shows, for me, that opens shows an openness to progression from a from a standpoint of the person listening in as well that has that platform to say yeah we have got a problem here we are listening and we're listening to feedback and a customer feedback and we need to get this right i mean that's superb you, you can't fault that at all so next one what's the biggest area you're researching or you're curious about now i know we spoke about vr <laughs> is it um i have two areas of research one is quite technical and that is uh scalable social vr like yeah. like frame vr yeah. uh, i'm i think that a lot of power in uh in digital experiences come from being there and being able to talk to somebody else there that and so we are uh researching the underlying technologies to allow that to be uh, effective and highly accessible in, in like through a website so we, we everything we do is turns you web driven so we're researching the infrastructure for social immersive networks and the second area is uh, to do with um, communication, in, in fact, about speaking to the market. Uh, I, we are researching avenues, communities, and uh, which I know is an area of specialty for you, Adam, social media and, and how the messaging works on that. We are seeing what it takes to uh, make a product be noticed, you know, because uh, okay. yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. So these are like contextual rather than, rather than content. So we just recently made a ski game. Yeah, yeah. And so the ski game is an immersive ski game. You get to practice the, all your ski muscles in preparation for going back to ski season. It's a fitness, it's a fitness game. You know, it, it's not, you don't play your hands, you play with your legs. So it's, it's hard work. I have Olympic skiers using it. I have World Cup skiers using it. But that part of it is just the technology and the product. Uh, uh, an equally large amount of effort has been put around making sure that the word of this gets out. We have uh, made, made press releases. We've made contact in the fitness and the ski press. We have uh, we have the skier who is the uh, who is a Great British uh, a GB team skier uh, recording video testimonials from other skiers for us to put in the socials. Uh, we have uh, got articles in, in blogs, and we are trying to create a, a Twitter presence for it. Uh, so all these contextual things of how to elevate the product outside this technology bubble is our second area of research. It's I'm calling research a bit loose. Can it be called research where you try a thing to see whether it works? That's research, yeah, right? That's research, <laughs> it's yeah. not that formal. We, it's, it's not like we sit yeah. down with test tubes or anything. We basically try a thing, see what it works, you know, stay very responsive and, and try new things and not and do not just to sit on the idea of that once we made a thing, then you just take it, like build it and they will come. If nobody, if you take nothing else from this podcast, 
build it and they won't come unless you tell them about it okay don't <laughs> <Absolutely>. remember it. <laughs> you have to tell them about it and telling them about it is not easy you have to you have to make an effort out of it and it's outside the comfort zone of a lot of makers people who are makers tend they're not always communicators no. and if you don't want to do the communicating get somebody else to do it there isn't the i just won't do it that that is a recipe for failure you don't make like a pizza and just leave it on the counter right What's the point of that? You must just go home unless you can get it from the counter to the table. And this getting it to the table, you, you think getting it to the table is very, very important. It is critically important. It's just like, I always describe it as a, like a relay race. It's a four by 400 race, four by 400. It's a long mm. race. And if, no, if you have nobody <laughs> queued up for the fourth lap, forget it's it, good, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's good, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, no, yeah. It is not avoidable. You're, if you think you're in a two-lap race, then you'll, you know, yeah. you can't finish. Oh, there we are. Absolutely. So I'm trying to look down here now. I say, yeah. I normally ask these two, actually. We'll, we'll finish on the last one. But this one, is first one, is if you could have a billboard, and I know you mentioned what your dad said to you around who's your customer, but if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Ah, uh, I, I'd put on a billboard uh, that if I had a single message, and I don't want to get into like, mm. I don't want to be too preachy about it, but I would say, I would say what the Martian parachute said, which is their mighty things, their mighty thing. Or, you know, in a more truncated, I would say that don't settle for what there is. This is what I'd say. Yeah. Because in, in the technology business, uh, lots of companies, have tried to convince people that the way things work is the only way things can work. And that's just not true. So ask questions. Uh, uh, Electronic arts have, ca have captured this, but they say challenge everything. So genuinely do challenge everything. Yeah. Don't accept that a way that the way things done is the only way things can be done. Look for new ways to do things. And so, so because we are living in a uh, technological uh, uh, paradise, the capabilities which are in just any phone or any laptop is so enormous that if you wanted to make the next Facebook, you don't have to buy any more stuff. You just, you know, start typing, start talking, start communicating, start connecting, find problems and solve them. So don't settle for what there is. Just dream bigger. Dream bigger. That's what, that's, that's what, dream I, that's dream, dream you know, I, and I, I'm actually going to finish it because I think that's a nice thing to end on with what you just say there. Challenge everything. Question ask questions and you know I, I think that's a superb thing to end on that one uh, because that just cuts across everybody that does for me uh, you know everybody's in business everybody's from an individual point of view everything question challenge learn progress uh, and that's what you want now where can we find yourself so playco oh. internet website yes. Uh, our website is uh, www.playco.com. You can find us there. I am at Yinch on Twitter. And also we are at Playco Studios on Twitter as well. That's, the, that's our, our gaming site. Brilliant. And I will ask, uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll, there'll be a bio in the description of the podcast and we'll put those links in there for anybody who wants to get uh, access to uh, Yinch uh, and, uh, and his business as well. Um, Yinch, it's been an absolute pleasure as always thank you adam to talk to you um and um, thank you very much it's great to speak to you today adam. everybody have a great day bye bye 
Thanks for tuning in and remember, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts.